Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Well, thank you again for the opportunity to share. And um, I would invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 73, and I forgot my thing, but I think it's page 909, if I'm not mistaken, around there in your pew Bibles, Psalm 73. I would invite you, after I've read the psalm, to keep your Bibles open because I'll be looking, we'll be looking at a number of the verses in there and some other verses as well. So, uh, yeah, if you are comfortable with that, please do keep your Bibles open. Psalm 73, a familiar but, but very powerful psalm. Again, let's bow in prayer as we prepare to read God's Word. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to hear your Word, speak through me, speak to, into our hearts with your Word by the powerful presence of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray again. Amen. Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruins. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like, or I'm, I'm going to read it how, as the Hebrew says it, like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies or images. It doesn't actually say they are like. And the NIV, I think, mistakenly adds an ed, that editorial comment. It just literally says, like a dream. Verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. 
You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. A few weeks back, I was on another ship, and I was chatting with some, a couple of Ukrainian uh, sailors. They were a couple of the officers on the ship. And we, were, we ended up having this almost an hour-long chat, uh, and they shared their frustration with the political and social situation in their home country. They said, it, it's so difficult because the economy is really, even before COVID and now with COVID, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's in really bad shape, they said. And, and because of that, they said Ukrainians, and it's not just Ukrainians, but they were specifically speaking of their own situation. We're the ones who have to go and do, in other parts of Europe even, and do the jobs that no one else wants to do. We're the ones who go and do the manual labor jobs, and other people don't want to do it because there's no, hardly any work back in, in Ukraine. Or we're the ones who have to work on the ships as seafarers and leave home for, time, for, for months and months on end because no one else wants to do these jobs. And at the same time, they said, the politicians, it's always the politicians, right? The politicians, they said, they are corrupt and they are making money like nobody else on their corruption, through their corruption. They're happy. They get to, to enjoy the wealth and all that they have while the rest of us suffer. Now, I don't know that Ukrainian, these Ukrainian seafarers were necessarily pure in heart like the psalmist talks about, but you get the sentiment, right? It's just not fair. They, they get to take advantage of the situation, the corrupt ones, and while we work hard, we struggle and barely get by. And that feeling, that sentiment, is, is a lot like what's happening here in this psalm. It's this sense of, he begins with this hopeful confession. Did you notice that in verse 1? Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And, and remember that word heart. Read through the psalm again. You'll find it six times it comes up in this psalm, the heart. Whether it's pure in heart or those with callous hearts, grieving hearts, all kinds of things. But the condition of the heart is the key to this psalm. How our hearts are determines how we understand the world around us. So the heart, much more than the circumstances around us, the heart is what's key. But then he quickly shifts to what one uh, biblical scholar, Walter Brueggemann, refers to as this state of disorientation. 
this feeling that things are not right. The world is sort of turned upside down, and it's just not fair the way things are shaking out, the way things are working out in this world. It just isn't fair. The wicked, he says, and the arrogant, they thrive. Verse 12, surely, oh, sorry, this is what the wicked are like always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. And they don't just do that, but they flaunt their wealth in, 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 in the rejection of God. They, they even just totally rebel against God. Verse 11, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? It's like, forget God. Look at us. We're doing great. And there's this arrogance among the wicked. And they're doing, and it's true, he says, they're doing so well. At the same time, he says, the psalmist says, I've been trying to live a a pure, a righteous life in vain. Verse 13, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. And things seem to just keep piling up. They just go from bad to worse. Verse 14, all day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. More bad news. It isn't fair. And now he catches himself at this point in verse 15, and he says, but I can't say that, right? Because to do that, it would, it would be so damaging, that testimony to, so, to God's people in general. I mean, how would they feel that if everybody starts to react like this? He says, I can't share that. And yet he confesses it feels so unfair. It leads one commentator uh, or some commentators on this psalm to refer to Psalm 73 as the book of Job in a nutshell. Life isn't fair. Well, that, sh- that, that sentiment, that feeling that things aren't working out takes a shift then and begins to change from the disorientation to this new or this reorientation. And it happens particularly, the key is in verse 17. Until, until I entered the sanctuary. Until I entered the holy place. Now the holy place is typically a reference for the temple or originally the tabernacle, but it's the place of of God's presence. You get the picture, right? He says, I've been looking, I was looking around me. I was looking at the people around me, and it wasn't until I began to look up that my orientation got corrected, got back into shape, into the right perspective, the way of, of looking at things the right way. And now he's looking up to God, and things come back into perspective, in a sense. Now, that same sentiment comes up in a lot of 
well, the scriptures, but particularly a lot of the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 37, for example, is sort of a mirror of Psalm 73, except it's in the more positive note. He doesn't go as desperate. He says, I recognize the truth that the, the wicked will not prevail, even though they do at times. And so, for example, in Psalm 37, beginning at verse 35, the, the psalmist there writes, I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless, observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace, but all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. So you get that feeling more in a psalm of praise there, but still that sentiment. Things, the wicked do thrive, but not forever. Or Psalm 92, verse 7, Though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, it can feel that way, right? They will be destroyed forever. Things will work out. In the end. And, and so here in Psalm 73, at this point of the, of the transition, he begins to realize oh, wait a minute, things will work out. It's sort of like, do you remember the story in 2 Kings where King Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18 19, and, and the Assyrians have come, Sennacherib with his forces come and they threaten Jerusalem and they're a, an ominous army. They're a real threat. And they come to, to, to Jerusalem and the, some of the officials come right up to the, to the gates and they, they threaten the people and they say, give it up. You don't stand a chance. And they hurl all these threats at, at Israel, at Jerusalem, at Israel's God. And then after that, the, the, the rulers that from Jerusalem who came and met with the Sennacherib's rulers, they go back to Jerusalem and they report to King Hezekiah. And we're told in 2 Kings 19, verse 1, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. Later, uh, they send another letter, a threatening letter, and he actually takes the letter into the house of the Lord, and it says he opened it up before the Lord. Lord, you read this, he says. But I love that. He went into the house of the Lord. God, help us, he says. He knows where to turn in times of trouble. And, and this helps to give him hope, and it helps to give us hope, God's people hope. It still continues to do that by changing our perspective, by, by giving the sense that justice will prevail. Things will work out. God will work things out faithfully for his people. Now, I've been thinking about this in, in light of our, of our COVID situation we've been uh, you know we're meeting together again which is wonderful but but for months over a year we've not been able to meet basically for so many people and, and it has me wondering now I'm not saying church here is the exact equivalent of 
the sanctuary that's referred to in Psalm 73 or other references. It's not, okay? That's, it's, that, that's Jesus <laughs> is primarily that. But nonetheless, this is a key place where we gather together to meet with and hear from God. And, and my concern has been as people get used to being able to meet at home and, and the blessing of being able to live stream and that has sustained us in many ways. But will, for some people, this become, ah, I can just do this from home. I don't need to bother gathering. I hope not. And I think even seeing a number, a, lot, a good number of people gathered here today is a sign that things will return. But I hope so because we do need to keep that perspective right. And it's in God's strength that we do that and in his presence. And that idea then of presence comes out particularly in verse, beginning at verse 23, where the psalmist says, yet I am always, or I prefer the term, I am continually with you. And he stresses the importance here of being with you, God. I am with you. And notice that he says it's continually. I am always continually with you. Uh, Psalm uh, 105, you may remember that. Uh, Psalm 105, verse 4. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually, always seeking his face. And the psalmist says that's, that kind of continual with you-ness is what he seeks now. And following that, then you come to verse 25, and this has really sort of been the, the, the trigger, the key verse to me in this text, where the psalmist writes, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Um, the, again, the, the Hebrew literal translation of Psalm 25 goes like this. Who to me in the heavens and with you there is not that I desire on earth. Notice that he picks up on that phrase, with you, again. Who to me in the heavens and with you there is not that I desire on earth. I long to be with you, says the psalmist. And so he goes on in verse uh, 27. I want to be with you. He says, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful, and it literally says, from you. <laughs> Again, they're far from you. But as for me, verse 28, it is good to be near God. And notice he picks up the good back from verse 1. Remember verse 1, he started off with, God is good to Israel. For me, it is now good. And he picks up on that, on that phrase again, that, that term. It is good to be near God. 
And that verse 25 was the one that really struck me in this. There's nothing I desire on earth besides God. Is that true? There's a few things I do desire on earth that I enjoy. They're pleasurable things. And, and how can he really say, there's nothing I desire on earth besides you? Is this guy superhuman or something? Now, I like to read this um, in the light of, sort of in the context of, or maybe a metaphor or analogy, is the marriage metaphor. Okay? I'm married to my wife, Jennifer. And the reality is, in the world, there are other women in the world, right? Like, over half the world. But in terms of, for me, there really is only one. Sorry, I held up two fingers. <laughs> I get this question on the seafarer sometimes. How many wives do you have? Yeah, must be a Muslim. Um, there's only one. There's only one for me. Not that there aren't any others, but in a, in a very real sense, there's only one. And I think in that similar sense, not that there aren't other good desires and pleasures in this world, but there really, ultimately, there's only one, Lord. But even then, even then, how many of us really live like that? Interestingly, Martin Buber, the Jewish philosopher, and theologian in writing about this psalm, he says that no person, quote, is able to be continually turned to the presence of God, close quote. No person is able to be continually turned to the presence of God. Is he right? I think yes and no. And, and the reason I would say no is because he doesn't know Jesus. Remember that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. And I would argue that Jesus is the one true person, eka homo, behold the man, who fulfills this as no other could. Jesus, the one who lived in the very, who was the sanctuary, destroy this temple, I'll raise it again in three days. The very presence of God, and who lived as a human, the God-man, in the very presence of God continually. So I think one did really fulfill this. But at the same time, we, friends, are called to be those who are growing in our Christ-likeness, growing to be like Jesus, growing to more and more live in this kind of reality where, where there's really no other. And I challenge you to think about 
how true that is for you and for me. Nothing else really matters. Or to put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 3 at the beginning, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Nothing else really matters. Now, Buber's point in saying that no one really lives like this is that ultimately we need God to make us like this. As the psalmist says, you hold me by my right hand. God, it's you who changed me. And the reality is, and we would all agree, that God has to do this work in us, doesn't he? It's God who has to bring this kind of transformation, this reorientation, as we strive and, and to be with you, but it's ultimately, this is God's work in our hearts and in our lives. That's the sentiment of this psalm. It's the sentiment of Martin Buber and of, of anyone, I think, who wrestles with this reality. How do I get there, Lord? And it takes time and it's a process, but God will bring that kind of change in our lives. The great English poet John Donne wrote a sonnet, a well-known sonnet, entitled, Batter My Heart, Three-Personed God. You may remember that one, some of you. Um, at the end of that sonnet, Batter My Heart, Three-Personed God, where he's saying, Lord, you need to take over. You need to batter my heart. You need to take control of my life. The last three lines go like this. I want to close with these words, where he's speaking to God. Take me to you. Imprison me, for I accept you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. For I accept you enthrall me, never shall be free. May you find that freedom as God changes. May we all, as God changes our lives, your life and my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, reminder from the psalmist of the ways in which you are at work in this world, even when things can feel and seem and appear so unfair and so unjust. Lord, keep our perspective, change our perspective, renew and restore our orientation and our perspective so that we, we keep our eyes on you, Lord. 
Lord, change our lives and so that we can really reflect with the psalmist that there is ultimately nothing else that we desire except you. Guide us in that, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.